Hey, what's up, Morning Shakeout listeners? It's your host, Mario Fraioli, and I'm excited to share a little something different with you here this week. What you're about to listen to is episode five of a new show that I've been recording the last few weeks with my friend and collaborator, Billy Yang of Billy Yang Films and the Billy Yang Podcast, where we catch up for about 30 minutes or so on what we've each been up to, but also what happened in running over the previous weekend. Here's the catch. The show, which we're calling The Weekly Rundown, is exclusive to you folks who support our work directly via monthly contributions on Patreon. I want to give you a little taste of what it's about in this episode. We recorded this one last week on July 2nd and talked about the Western States Endurance Run, the Prefontaine Classic, and Billy's trip to Austria for the Infinite Trails Relay Race. It's not Billy interviewing me or me interviewing Billy. It's just two friends who are deeply embedded in running, talking casually and unscripted about what's been going on in the sport and the industry. Right now, this show is only available to our respective supporters on Patreon, so if you're into it and want more, you can support my work directly at themorningshakeout.com slash support, Billy's work at patreon.com slash Billy Yang. If you like this format, or even if you don't, or if you like it and you think it just needs to be a longer show, let me know by dashing me a note on Twitter at Mario Fraioli. Eventually, we may make this show available to everyone, but for now, it's only available to Patreon supporters. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled interview-style show here next week, but for now, please enjoy this sample of the weekly rundown with me and my friend, Billy Yang. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a action-packed, jam-packed episode of episode five of the Weekly Rundown. My name is Billy Yang, and there, of course, is my compadre, everyone's favorite coach to the stars, Mario Fraioli. How are you? Uh, I'm just dandy. I don't know that I am everyone's favorite coach or coach to the stars, but I'll take it. Um, great to You've got some stars you on your list, and, and people will see why in a second, but... Um, Anyway, you just came back from Western States this past weekend. I just got back from Austria slash Germany for the past week or so. So why don't we just start there? Get the boring stuff out of the way. You know, just my little own personal adventures to foreign lands and whatnot. Is that okay with you? Roll right into it, man. Because I really do. I want to spend a good chunk of this conversation talking about we've had exciting, exciting events this past weekend. Western States, of course being first and foremost on my mind. And then, of course, to the uh, track and field enthusiasts out there, the Prefontaine Classic as well. So we will cover both in today's episode. But There was first, almost too much happening everybody. in running this past weekend between Western States and Lavaredo on the ultra side. You had Prefontaine Classic um, on the track and field side, and I'm certainly missing some things mm -hmm. in between. It was a lot to keep tabs on. Well, why do you think we have this podcast now, Mario, <laughs> to dilute all of this into a very neat and compact 30 minutes, hopefully. So we should roll right into it. I'll try to make this brief. Um, one of the events that also happened internationally is an event that I'm sure many of you are not familiar, familiar with. It is the Infinite Trails race out in the Austrian Alps of, uh, of a town called Badgiston. And um, it's a really, I think, Mario, I think you might find this interesting. And, I, and after, I didn't quite understand it initially, but then once I went to this event and saw it play out, my mind started to go and I was like, why don't we have events like this in the States? And you'll see why in a second. 
So what the Infinite Trails race is, hosted by Adidas, or Adidas, as they like to say it, um, it's basically a three-person, it's not quite an ultra-marathon, although one of the legs would technically fall under ultra-marathon status. But what it is, is you, um, you have a team consisting of three people. And person one does a loop. I believe it's about uh, 40K. You do that loop, tag the second person, you come into the finishing shoot, everyone gets super excited, second person goes out, they cover a 60K ultramarathon, and consisting of 3,800 meters or over 12,000 feet of vertical gain. So it is brutal, it is tough, there's two big climbs in true European style that go straight up, and I saw a little bit of it. It's breathtaking, it's beautiful, but it is, like I said, brutal. And then you come back, tag the last person, and that person goes out and does, I want to say, between like a 25 to 30K. And once they cover that, come back into the, the excitement of the finishing shoot again. And then all three go out immediately after that and cover a 1K, and then you're done. It, it very much plays out, as I would imagine, sort of like a cross-country style thing where it is very much about the team. You have an overall time, who finished which loop the fastest, and then obviously the cumulative time is your finishing time. And this race was um, unfortunately canceled last year due to weather, but this year we got the polar opposite of it, temperatures in like 85 to 90 degree plus, um, you know, obviously a little bit cooler up at the summits, but that definitely contributed to uh, some of the carnage. I, I think a vast majority of the teams actually did not complete or were timed out. And there were some, I don't know, like road people who were experiencing a trail ultra marathon for the first time. What a way to experience it, right? But um, what was so exciting about it was that the women's side, in particular the women's race, um, really came down to the wire. And I think the runner-up team, uh, the third leg, the last leg, gal by the name of uh, Kim Kim something, she's a German runner, she's awesome, but she went out with a 20-minute lead. And then the eventual team that won it came in 20 or left 20 minutes after, and she ended up catching her, passing her, and, um, you know, so there was real, like, excitement and anticipation about who's going to show up. And there were announcers there, and they were giving us updates. And basically, that woman, and I forget her name, she ended up coming down the chute first, and the three of them took off. And I think it, was, it basically came down to a few minutes that they ended up, you know, being the overall winners uh, on the female side. So I would love to see a race like this play out in the States. You know, I know guys like Eric from Ultra, Ultra Runner Podcast and some other people out there were always talking about the concept of teams, right? Because it is a highly individualized sport. But imagine like a trio of Hoka athletes and a trio of ultra athletes and Nike trail athletes and, the, and, and doing a race in this format. I think it, it could really make for an interesting and different dynamic, but also really hone in on the team aspect of uh, competitive racing, which we don't do nearly enough here. Yeah, well, it's a lot more fun just to get behind teams regardless of the sport. And I think running at all levels can do more to foster that kind of environment. But 
back to this race. So let me get this straight. So it's relay style with team scoring, mm-hmm. and then do they award each individual leg, maybe fastest male, fastest female for the 60K, for the 25K? They give it out in this, you know, eventually at okay. the end, but um, the, the, the main awards on the are yeah, at the podium. Love it. Sounds super fun. How'd your team make out? So (laughs) that was the only unfortunate part of it is that our third member, um, Kelly Newland from Rad Boulder, Kelly unfortunately fell ill a couple of days prior to the event. So um, Krista still went out for her her loop and I kind of, um, you know, bandied about and covered sections of my own loop, but because there was no official scoring, I didn't take it all that seriously, and I covered like 20-plus miles of that loop, but um, just basically DNF'd it. Sounds fun either way. Yeah, yeah, it was okay. So were you experiencing some states FOMO while you were over there? It was massive, massive FOMO. I don't think FOMO would do it justice. That's not to say I was on my phone checking it incessantly. I wasn't. Um, I really was like present in, in the moment, but it was hard not to think about my friends who were, you know, halfway around the world in the most competitive 100-mile race in American soil, at least. So take me through the weekend, Mario, because the reunion part of it is awesome, but I I also hear after the fact that the race portion of it was really exciting to follow (laughs) as well. Yeah, I guess some people forget about the race itself. It's the experience of the entire weekend. I mean, for me, this was my fifth time attending Western States. I wasn't there last year, but I'd been there the four years prior. And for me, it felt like the energy and excitement was on another level compared to years before. And I think the race has gotten more competitive each of the last several years. But I also think that this year with it being a little bit cooler, uh, it was a lot more pleasant to be out on the course. And on Saturdays, I was driving around supporting and crewing for Ia Wang uh, at some of the earlier aid stations at Duncan Canyon around like 24 and then Dusty Corners and then Forest Hill. The parking spots filled up quickly and we were there early for one of the front runners. I was just blown away by how many people were out you know, on the course. It was hard to set up your crew spot in a lot of places because people were setting theirs up early and that's all good stuff i mean it's not a bad problem to have it just shows that people are into the race and getting excited about it spectator support was crazy but the racing itself was bonkers i mean the depth on both sides of the race men and women was unprecedented i think i mean i'd written about this in my morning checkout newsletter this morning it's tuesday Mm -hmm. as we record this you had to break 15 hours to get on the men's podium. That's never happened before. You had to break 19 hours, no, sorry, 18 hours to get on the women's podium. That's never happened before. Uh, to get in the men's top 10, you had to be sub 16. The number of women who broke 20 hours, I think, was was unprecedented. So crazy depth, um, really exciting head-to-head racing the entire day. Uh, Jim Walmsley was obviously out front. The men's race took a good chunk of time off his course record from last year. But Jared Hazen was, you know, I I shouldn't say in sight. I mean, he was several minutes behind all day. But he was close by ultra standards, and he ran a really strong race. Um, And he was 
you know, he was hunting for the victory. If Jim made a wrong move or he surged too early, Jared could easily have overtaken him and finished in 1426 himself. So exciting stuff up front. And then behind them, I mean, there was just a lot of back and forth and battling and, you know, people blowing up. And I mean, it was just... Hey, Mario, let me, uh, let me have you pause there for a second, because in your opinion, in your expert opinion, how much do you think the weather played into it because you've been there the other four years and, and you really felt the heat of the day, uh, especially places like Michigan Bluff, Forest Hill. How dramatically different was it from years past? To put it in perspective, this is the only time that I can remember people sitting on the pavement at Forest Hill, where it is typically 95 to 100 degrees in the afternoon. And Ooh. there are small spots of shade that everyone is clamoring for and this year it was overcast about 75 to 80 depending on when you got there and it was just really comfortable to be outside as a saw, spectator and i saw quite uh, quite a few more number of uh, jackets at the starting line it was 37 degrees at the start um so a number of runners started with jackets i was there in a puffy jacket just to stay warm as I was watching the start compared to two years ago when I was last at the start it was 55 degrees so it was almost a 20 degree swing from two years ago and I wasn't there last year but yeah the weather conditions as far as the temperature goes were ideal I mean for and and this is not to discount the athletic accomplishments from this past weekend but obviously weather plays a huge part in being able to run um, you know, certain paces for for that amount of time. It goes both ways. I mean, on one hand, you don't have to manage such high heat, and that really gets to a lot of people most years, and they just can't handle it no matter how fit they are. Um, on the other hand, when it is cooler, it is faster. And for people who use heat as the great equalizer, it wasn't there this year. They had to be on their horse the entire time. So... I think it definitely played a factor, but I mean, it was close racing all day and there was just good depth on both sides. The women's race was super exciting. I mean, you had Courtney DeWalter who was just cruising and looked unbeatable for a very long time. She was literally about to run away with it um, as in years or at least last year. I thought she was going to finish in the top 10 overall. I really did. She looked that good. Yeah, there was Forest Hill. She was right around like Jeff Browning and Ian Sharman. At that point of the race. Uh, and then I do recall seeing her like seventh at one point overall. That could be true. I don't know off the top of my head, but she was certainly up there. And I had a feeling she may finish in the top 10 based on how she was looking at Forest Hill. But 18 miles later, she was hobbling with a hip injury. I mean, that's that's a sport for you. I mean, um, things can change in an instant. And the race behind her was still close all day. And those women were running really, really fast. That's not to take anything away from Claire Gallier or Brittany Peterson um, or any of the women who, who were charging hard behind her. But Courtney was putting together something special until her hips started giving her trouble. And then the race behind her, was even more exciting the later the day went on. I mean, you had uh, Brittany and Claire neck and neck with six miles to go before Claire dropped the hammer. Uh, and can't remember the last time that happened at Western States. How exciting. So what, at the end of the day, between Brittany and Claire, um, what was the what was the gap between the two of them? Would it end up being like seven? No, I think it was double digits. Maybe it was 10 ended up being 10 minutes. She put a good chunk of time on her at the end. So let's see. Claire won in 1723, and then Brittany was 1734. So okay. 11, 
11 minutes in the last six miles. Yeah, I think I saw, I read in uh, Brittany's write up on her Instagram that Claire just hauled, you know what, from Pointed Rocks or where, wherever they were. I think she was dropping 730s or something silly like that, which at that point of Western states on that terrain is flying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's crazy to think about, um, you know, that point being your bell lap and really having to really kick it into gear. But man, there's something inside, I think all of us were, and you saw it on her, um, the way she collapsed at the finish line. There's like an extra gear there somewhere sometimes that, that you have to summon and, you know, whether it, whether it actually happens or not is a whole other story. But with Claire, it seemed like she had it. Yeah. And she didn't have a choice. Otherwise, Brittany would have rolled right by her. So I love it. I think the increased competition in the sport on both sides is a good thing. I love seeing people mm -hmm. racing late into the race and not just surviving and having it be a race of attrition. I mean, it still is to, to some degree, but I mean, to have head to head racing with six miles to go, I mean, it doesn't get more exciting than that. I agree, man. And, um, any other narratives from this weekend that uh, you want to call out, whether it's the front of the pack, back of the pack? Oh, man, we could do a whole show on this, and I know we're tight on time. One person that I would like to give a shout-out to is Jeff Browning. That man knows how to race 100 miles. Found his mm. way into the top 10, finished ninth. He's 47 years old, uh, the oldest in the top 10 by quite a bit. There are a lot of young, fast legs in the top 10. I mean, Walmsley's 29, Jared's 24, Tom Evans is 27, uh, Matt Daniels mm -hmm. is like 30 or 31. Um, I think Jetta Demas is like in his late 30s, but I mean, Jeff Browning's 47 years old. Uh, and he, yeah, man. when it comes down to pure running ability, and this is, I don't think he'd argue me on this, like, you know, him versus a lot of those guys who finished behind him, they could outrun him in a flat out running race but in 100 miles um on tough terrain and challenging conditions he just knows how to spread himself out and he knows where to put himself and he finished ninth and i thought that was one of the most impressive performances of the day and that's not to take anything away from anyone else because there's so many other variables too right i mean have you if you've seen that guy blow through an aid station. He literally blows through an aid station. Seconds. He is Mr. In and out. Yeah. Mr. Efficiency knows which bottles to grab and take and drop and, and boom, boom, boom in and out. Yeah. And the guy who finished behind him, Kyle in 10th was, I mean, he was a minute behind him. You know, that's, that's an aid station right there. I mean, so yeah, you know, that, that is a, that is a deuce break. That is, um, you know, <laughs> like, Power hiking versus running up a hill uh, at some point during the race. Yeah, that's uh, you can find that minute anywhere on that course. And for him to be able to outkick the little youngster, chalk him, you know, one up to old man strength. That's, uh, that's awesome to hear. Kudos to Bronco Billy. Hey, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode. It is the VCU Health Richmond Marathon in Richmond, Virginia. It's time to start thinking about your fall race schedule, especially if you're considering a half marathon or marathon. And I'm excited to head back to Richmond, Virginia to run the Markel Richmond Half Marathon as part of VCU Health Richmond Marathon Weekend on November 16th. 
and I'd love for you to join me. It will be my second trip to Richmond. I had a great experience there last year. I'm super excited to be a part of the event again. I'm going to be hosting a shakeout run on the Friday before the race. I'll be at the expo. I might record an episode of the podcast or two, and then I'll be running the half marathon, most likely pacing the 130 or 140 group this time around. So why Richmond? Well, it's a great running town. The event provides amazing course support, enthusiastic spectators. There's beautiful views of the river, charming neighborhoods, and hopefully perfect fall weather. Last year, it was amazing. If you're running the marathon, one of the best parts about Richmond is that it's a flat, fast course. It ends with a downhill finish on the scenic James River. Richmond was recently named a top 25 Boston qualifier. It's known to produce PRs for runners of all speeds, and Runner's World even dubbed it as America's Friendliest Marathon. After you cross the finish line, regardless of what event you run, you will be rewarded with plenty of unique finisher swag and a rocking post-race party. So if you're looking for something shorter than the full marathon distance, they've got you covered. You can join me in the Markel Richmond Half Marathon. There's even the Richmond 8K, all of which takes place on the same day. That is November 16th. So plenty of options. You can use the code MORNINGSHAKEOUT. That's all one word, MORNINGSHAKEOUT, when you sign up and save $10 on your entry fee. So get in now at richmondmarathon.com and start training today. I will see you in Richmond on November 16th. Thank you so much to the VCU Health Richmond Marathon for supporting the podcast. Let's get back to the show. Okay, we were talking about Bell Labs, and so I think that is... um that's a nice little opening to <laughs> that's about as smooth a segue as I can muster a conversation Roll we had with like it, Billy. 10 minutes ago, but, uh, bell apps, prefontaine classic. Did you attend? I was it, was it the Sunday after it was Sunday afternoon from one to three at Stanford close to where I live in the Bay area. And by close, I mean an hour and a half away, but no, I did not mm-hmm. attend. Uh, I watched the NBC coverage of it later in the day it was a very well packaged two-hour presentation and oh yeah you wrote about that in the in the morning shake right and i thoroughly enjoyed it what something positive about track and field (laughs) coverage uh yeah believe it or not i mean it was it was well packaged i mean that meat is very compact so it's no time wasted it's one event to the next event but what was good about this broadcast was they didn't cut away from many of the races. They utilized the split screen. I mean, this amazing technology that's been around for who knows how long. They finally utilized it so you could actually mm. watch a race unfold as they were doing an interview with someone who had just finished their event. And it seems like a trivial thing, but I mean, that's one of the problems with track and field coverage is there'll be this, you know, five minute race and they'll cut away two minutes of it or even, you know, there the 3000 slash two miles, the longest event that they had. So we're talking like, you know, an eight to an eight and a half minute race for both men and women. And they'll cut away half of it typically. And this time we're able to watch almost the entire thing. And I appreciate that. All right. So tell me about some of the highlights. Like what were you uh, most impressed by from the meet? Well, I just, I love the mile. 1500 on the track. So the women's 1500 was a great race. Um, Kip Yegon from Kenya was her first race back since giving birth to her daughter last year. And actually she hadn't raced in almost two years. So a lot of people, myself included, were wondering how she was going to look after a long layoff. And she looked damn good. She ran 359.06, I believe, to win the race. Uh, tight race. Top three women were all 359 point something. Um, so just goes to show she's still 
one of the top, if not the top, 1,500-meter runner in the world. So she'll contend for a world title later this summer in Doha. And behind her, uh, you had Laura Muir from Great Britain, who has just been on fire this season. I thought she was going to win the race. She has just been clicking on all cylinders lately. But she was second. It was tight. Uh, she ran well, got boxed a little bit toward the end, uh, wasn't able to to get by Kip Yegon. But she is a force to be reckoned with. And right behind her was Shelby Houlihan, who was making her season debut. She had a bit of a foot problem after cross country. I think she had an avicular stress fracture or stress reaction. But regardless, it was her first race in a while. Always tough to know how that's going to go. But didn't look like she missed much of a beat. She put herself in position over the last lap. I think she closed in about 60 seconds, finished in 359 and change she won that race last year so probably a bit disappointing from that standpoint for her but i think she was probably thrilled to open her season with a sub four 1500 so that was super exciting on the men's side you got the bowerman mile uh it's the marquee event of the meet goes last stacked fields uh tight competition i think it was one in like 351 and change um Whew. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think everyone was under under four minutes in that race, but just some great racing. Matt Centrowitz made his debut. He's the reigning Olympic gold medalist in the fifteen hundred. Made his debut for the Bowerman Track Club, his new training group, and looked surprisingly solid. wasn't sure what to expect from him. I think he ran like three fifty two and some change. Was maybe fourth, um, but he is tactically a great racer, and it was just fun to watch him compete and show that he is still a force to be reckoned with in the 1500 meter slash mile. What are the tactics? Um, you know, it's just to a complete noob who doesn't, who's never tried running a 1500s or a mile outright. Like what would be the strategy? So I had a coach once tell me you got two moves in that race. And this is about a, you know, roughly four minute race, depending on how fast you're going. So a lot of it is just positioning, uh, not getting boxed in on the rail early on. So you can't respond to moves that are happening outside of you. I mean, you've really just got to put yourself in a position to respond to whatever is happening in the race. And so you're never racing time or splits. You're always racing the competitors, right? Yeah, It depends on the race. I mean, some of them are set up to go after time. You'll have a rabbit. I mean, this race had a rabbit took the race out in you know, I think sub 350 pace or whatever. So sometimes they are chasing the clock and you're still racing the people around you, um, but you've got someone setting the tempo for you and you can shut your brain off until maybe the last lap or lap and a half. But I mean, it's really, it's all about positioning and putting yourself in a place where you can respond to whatever's happening. So you can close over the last, not even just the last lap, but over the last like 100, 150, 200 meters, sometimes last 50 meters, things can get pretty wild down the stretch. So positioning is, is huge in the 1500 meters. It's such a short race and it's such an intense race that, I mean, back to the whole two moves thing, you could, you could blow it, uh, if you make a bad move early on in the race. So you've really got to, you know, you've really got to pick your spots as far as when you're going to respond and, and when you might initiate a move. A la the, um, the person that the race is named after Prefontaine. That was his uh, trademark move, right? It's just to go out hard from, from the gun. Yeah, he liked to force the issue. One other event slash person that I want to, it's a complicated issue, so I'm not even going to try to unpack the whole entirety of it, but uh, Caster Semenya sure. raced and she won the eight, 800 meter, right? 
she did win the 800 meters quite convincingly. And how was the coverage treated? Because again, it is a very delicate and sensitive and complicated issue uh, of which we've never really faced in this sport or a lot of sports. So uh, I'm curious about that portion of it. They didn't get into it too much. They alluded to the fact that there's still on an ongoing you know, court battle as to whether or not um, she should be able to race in the 800 meters, which is her marquee event. Um, but they didn't really focus too much on that. And after the race, okay. she was asked one question kind of in that vein, and she had her answer prepared and sort of you know, sidestepped it. She's just focusing on herself and what she can control and competition. But I mean, that very well, you know, that very well could have been her last 800 meter race at a diamond league race. It's all going to depend what happens with all these court proceedings. But I mean, as of a couple of weeks ago, she wasn't supposed to race the 800 meters anymore. Um, but you know, the ruling was overturned. It's just, it's a complicated, messy situation, but Mm -hmm. kudos to NBC for just keeping the focus on the race and, leaving the the politics out of it. Yeah. um, I don't know what the IAAF will rule eventually. Um, That's a sports governing body. I, it just seems, it it seems wrong for somebody, again, for the people who aren't familiar with this issue. um, She was born with uh, both, um, with like typical male XY chromosome pattern. So, um, you know, people cite that as a natural testosterone um, that they're trying to suppress with medication. Uh, ironically, the other way, you know, you're actually trying to medicate the athlete to for in the spirit of quote unquote fairness. And I don't know what the answer is. I, I do know that it's t- certainly a factor. Um, I don't know that how much of a factor what by what percentage but that's why it's so complicated and that's why it's so tricky yeah i mean there's just so many factors at play i mean there's ethical considerations and moral considerations and performance considerations and you know there's you know there's science that's being cited and then there's people saying oh you're not you know you're not uh using a large enough sample. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a mess. Like I can't even begin to scratch the surface of it. So I purposely haven't said much because I'm just not as informed <clears throat> as I should be to make a really, mm-hmm. um, you know, to make a really firm stance on the situation. Yeah. And it's not like you necessarily have to have one either. Yeah. Sometimes things are just, you know, you can make arguments for either side. Yeah, but as I've said before, um, I think it's possible to feel sympathy for her because she's done nothing wrong. This is who she is. Um, she has literally exactly. done nothing wrong. Uh, at the same time, you know, while feeling sympathy for the women that she's competing against who really feel that they're competing for second place because, you know, they just don't have the, you know, the same biology that she's done and she's at an advantage because of that. So I think it's it's possible to feel sympathy for for both sides and I don't know that there is a very clear you know dividing line or answer to the the situation um but it is it is complex and messy but hopefully over the next several weeks and months and hopefully not not years um you know the sport the governing body the powers that be can reach some sort of resolution. Yeah. 
Uh, real quick on the event before we move on and uh, wrap this show up. Is the Prefontaine Classic typically on the same weekend as Western States in years past? No. Because it is an event that I would love to uh, attend and spectate at. And um, I feel like I don't do that enough with track and field events. No. The short answer is no. There's a lot of weird things happening in track this year. The main thing being that the world championships are a month later than they usually are. So mm -hmm. that has sort of pushed a lot of the track season back a month. So the U.S. championships, which are typically this time of year, late June, and those have fallen on the same weekend as Western States, are now at the end of July. The Prefontaine Classic is typically at the end of May, and this year it's at the end of June. And the other thing with the Prefontaine Classic is it's usually at Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon, Tracktown, USA. But that stadium is going undergoing renovations right now and won't be ready till next year's Olympic trials. So they had it as a one-off event at Stanford this year. So very atypical year for track and field. Okay, awesome. I'd be remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge one of your coaching athletes and all-around great guy, Tim Tollefson, for his win at the Lavaredo Ultra Trail in the beautiful and stunning Dolomites of Italia. What have you heard from your athlete? What did you think about his performance? Why don't we go out on that note? Good place to go out on. Um, I'm just really happy for Tim. I think that's one of the best ultra races that he's ever executed he was really happy with his performance he was in a battle with the second place runner he said for six hours that they were battling back and forth and he couldn't shake him <laughs> until the latter stages of the race but said he felt solid all day his legs were strong he was climbing as well or better than he's ever climbed before so he's in a good spot with a little over eight weeks to go till utmb which is the the big one for him this summer he did have uh we were chatting yesterday he did have a 40-hour uh trip home which sounded equal parts entertaining and <laughs> frustrating but he's back in mammoth lakes california he's going to take things pretty easy this week and then we'll get a short focused block of work in uh over this next month and a half or so before winding it down for utmb i'm stoked for that guy uh couldn't happen to a nicer dude and i'm sure a good chunk of it has to be, you know, just working under your tutelage, man, and getting in those um, hill repeats and the big vert and the big mileage, quality mileage. I don't think you're necessarily a big mileage guy, but... Um, depends on the athlete. You know. I mean, it really yeah. depends on the athlete, but Tim's just one of the best people I know, period. Uh, and he's an incredible athlete yeah. in his own right. He loves the mountains. He lives in the mountains in Mammoth Lakes. We've worked together for, this is year five. And I mean, he has been consistent as hell over the last five years. He's had a couple little niggles here and there, but nothing that's put him out for a prolonged period of time. He does run pretty big volume, especially for someone who's working almost full-time as well, um, but his training every year has, you know, gone up a level. I mean, from a volume standpoint, intensity has been a bit higher. We've been climbing more and more. This block of work that he had before Lavaredo was some of the most climbing he's ever done leading up to a mountain ultra race. And it's just fun to, you know, be on this journey with him and to look back where we started, um, you know, almost five years ago and see where he is today i'm just really really happy for him and really proud of him well it certainly takes a village so kudos to the both of you and kudos to everybody else who either towed the line at western states 
or a different ultra marathon, or if you were with me at the Infinite Trails. What an exciting weekend. It's just going to continue to ramp up with more exciting races. We didn't even talk about Mont Blanc Marathon and uh, what else was there? There's a 90K there, ha- there as well that Xavier won. Uh, yeah, it's just a whole bunch of races, and we'll be we'll be hard pressed to fit everything in in a condensed <laughs> style episode. But um, half hour might not yeah. cut it, Billy. We might need to make this like a ninety minute to two hour ramble session every week. Right, right. Well, we'll see. I mean, you're you're on a schedule, and I'm on a schedule today. But um, thanks for taking the time to jump on with me, Mario. I'm still a little bit jet lagged, but I have another podcast to record, so we'll see how that turns out. Thank you all for your continued support, you guys. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Mario's newsletter if you haven't done so already. And again, just nothing but gratitude to everyone out there supporting our work. That over there is Mario Frioli. This is Billy Yang. Thank you all for listening this week. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening in. Really hope you enjoyed the show. I'd like to thank the VCU Health Richmond Marathon for sponsoring this episode. The event, which also includes a half marathon and an 8K, takes place in Richmond, Virginia on November 16th. Whatever distance you run, Richmond provides phenomenal course support, great fall scenery, awesome finisher swag, and supportive spectators. I know from my experiences running the half marathon there last year that when you run Richmond, you truly get it all. Let me tell you a little bit about the marathon. It's a mostly flat, fast course, top 25 Boston qualifier, and it ends with a beautiful downhill riverfront finish. Runner's World called it America's Friendliest Marathon, and they certainly live up to that label. There's plenty to love about Richmond, and I'd love for you to join me there. Start planning your trip today. You can use the discount code MORNINGSHAKEOUT, that's all one word, at richmondmarathon.com and save 10 bucks off of your registration. And as I just mentioned, I'll be there again. I'm going to run the half marathon for the second year in a row, and I'll be hosting all kinds of other fun events throughout the weekend. I'd love to see you there and share some miles together. So please join me in Richmond on November 16th. If you'd like to show your support for the podcast, you can share this episode on your preferred social media platform and encourage your friends and followers to tune in. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, and that'll help new listeners to discover the show, and it really means a lot to me. Before we wrap up, I'd like to thank my man, John Summerford at bearsrecords.com. He takes care of all my audio needs for the show, including the music, which he made himself. And he's a big part of my small team here at the morning shakeout. Last thing, if you're digging this podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called the morning shakeout. You can get there at the morning slash subscribe, and you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and you've been listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Mm-hmm.